America is an amazing country filled with wonderful people who do incredible things. But too often, the media and liberal politicians ignore big parts of our nation and the people who make it work. So I'm speaking with leaders and policymakers who deal with real problems every day. I'm Ronna McDaniel, and this is Real America. Today, I'm going to be speaking with the governor of the Lone Star State, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, recently named by Texas Monthly the most powerful governor in the history of Texas. Well, hello, Governor Abbott. Do you mind if I call you Greg? Is Please that do. okay? Of course. Being a fellow Texan, I was born in Austin. I will tell you, the first time I came back to Texas in my 40s, since I moved away when I was five, I called my dad. I said, why did we ever leave Texas? And I'm sure you hear that a lot. How many people have moved into Texas just today? So I hear two things along the lines of what you talked about. There are people who say, why did I ever leave Texas? And there's a new set of people saying, why did we not come to Texas sooner? And what we're finding, especially in times of COVID, there are more and more people moving to Texas all the time. Before COVID, we had about a thousand people moving to Texas each day. That number has accelerated because of COVID. There, the floodgates are open with people moving into Texas and they're coming here for easily identifiable reasons. Uh, you know, people talk about taxes and regulations and things like that, all of which are true. But when you talk to some of the high-profile people who are coming here that I've gotten to know, people like Elon Musk, people like Joe Rogan, and uh, people who may be lesser known but associated with some massive companies, like uh, I know Chuck Schwab, for example, and so many others who have moved their companies here. And they all say the same thing, and that is that the real reason why they're coming here is because of the freedom that exists in Texas that they don't see or find in these other states that they are coming from. I'll tell you something else that is also important, and that is the one thing that they all demand of me, and that is to make sure we keep Texas, Texas. Exactly. The, I hear that all the time. Yeah. Keep Texas, Texas. Well, and so there, there are some people who have these fears and concerns that we're, we're going to have all these people moving in from California, New York, whatever the case may be. And they're going to come in and change Texas, just like the state they moved from. And that's not true. Uh, for one, I hear from these people directly that they want Texas to remain Texas, and they get actively involved in voting and supporting and getting involved in politics in ways that will keep Texas, Texas. So they understand they're coming here for a reason. They value the quality of life, and they recognize that a lot of that is made by policies that you've implemented as governor. Do exactly. they, they make that connection? They, they do make that connection because some businesses move here for the, the profit or for the economic component. However, those same businesses also move here for the value sets. They like the value sets that Texas represents. They don't like these values that are really socialistic values that you see in places like California and just chaotic values that you see in places like New York, et cetera. And so, the people who are moving here actually help the political base in the state of Texas. So I was telling you earlier, I'm from Michigan, and I live in a state that's really shut down still. My kids have been in virtual school for over a year. And I do want to talk about COVID, because I've had family move to Texas during this pandemic. And they understand the quality of life that they're living is so different than a state like mine where we're still shut down, but our cases are still rising. So can you just go through some of the key decisions you made and how you balanced government 
but also freedom as you tackled COVID. Mm -hmm. The key word that you used is balance. And remember at the very beginning of this, now 13 months ago, people had no idea what we were dealing with. And for the first month or two, we all had to kind of feel our way forward. We had to listen to the experts that turned out maybe not to be so expert in this. Uh, and we all began to develop more and more information about what this disease was and the way to respond to it. And we, we learned over time that some of these mandates that were imposed really weren't working the way that we were told they were going to be working. Case in point is what you just mentioned. One thing that uh, we did recently, uh, as in March, let me go back in time. Uh, back in October, we opened up 75% of the way. Uh, so business could open up 75%, restaurants could open up 75%, everything. I'm so jealous right now yeah. hearing that already. This, this, this goes back to last fall. Everything was open up 75% at the time. And, and then on March the 10th, we opened up 100%. Any business, anywhere of any type uh, can open up 100% and we eliminated the mask mandate. All the experts in the United States and, of course, all the liberal media in the United States, they all said this was going to be cataclysmic, that Texas was, was going to skyrocket in their COVID cases, and it was nothing going to be uh, but, but mayhem and, and death all the way. And it turned out that since we opened up 100%, the number of hospitalizations has been cut in half. The number of COVID cases has been cut in half. The number of deaths has been cut in half. At the same time, as you were pointing out, you see the cases increasing in Michigan. You see them increasing in New York. You see them increasing in states where you do have lockdowns. Another thing that, that, that going further back in time that you show how the, the, the people who were talking about the data really didn't have a firm grasp on what was going on because a state that was more prominent in lockdowns than any other state from the very beginning was California. Yeah. They were in total lockdown. But even though they were in total lockdown, they had as many cases, if not more cases, than states that were not in lockdown whatsoever. And so dealing with this, we began to learn that we need to be open. We need to let people live their lives. We do need to manage what is most important, and that is for the senior population that's most vulnerable to either losing their lives or being hospitalized. You protect them, and you open up everything else for everybody else, knowing that the physical and, and medical consequences of exposure to COVID are not going to be that serious for people who are not seniors. And so we, we did the opposite of New York. We, we protected our seniors. Uh, we didn't force them into COVID-based situations. And as a result, the per capita death rate in Texas, we rank like 23rd or 24th in the United States. That's amazing. And, you know, I was in your state on March 10th when you lifted everything. And I remember the national media just attacking you left and right, they not the right, left and left, just attacking you over and over again, saying this is going to lead to more deaths, this is irresponsible. And here we are, weeks later, your cases have gone down. And I think there's another part that's not talked about enough, and I'd love to hear if you're hearing about this from <clears throat> families who have lost their businesses in states that they can no longer function. Kids like mine who are in virtual school, the depression, the higher suicide rates, not to mention the long-term effect of that lack of education, that in-person education, and what that will mean in standardized mm -hmm. testing and competing to get into colleges in the upcoming years. Have you heard from any, any parents or business owners 
how much this has meant to you, your leadership, and what it's meant for their lives? They're so happy. And I have talked to so many people in Texas. Pretty much everyone says the same thing. In fact, someone, when I arrived in Dallas today, at the airport today, said the exact same thing that I hear every single day. They said, thank you, Governor, for opening up Texas. Thank you for the way that you've handled COVID. Uh, our business has been able to open up and thrive because of what you've done. I'm not kidding when I say not a day goes by without me hearing that. And people say it is so great to live in Texas. You did touch upon something that's very important because so many people want to focus on the, the medical consequences of exposure to COVID. And they don't talk as much about the medical consequences from the lockdowns. Yeah. There are medical consequences because of the lockdowns that we as a society need to understand, come to grips with, and respond to. And the best way to respond to it is find safe ways to open up as much as possible, to get back to normal as much as possible. And candidly, when you combine two numbers right now, uh, you can see how it's very safe to open up. Now, one is the number of people who have acquired immunity because they got COVID and they overcame COVID, and the others who have uh, medical immunity by getting the vaccination. When you combine those two numbers, you'll see that the population groups in every state uh, is so high uh, that the spread of COVID simply is not going to be spiked like it was back in January, uh, back in the summertime. The, the days of spikes of COVID, the days of high hospitalizations, the days of large number of fatalities are behind us. We need to recognize that and be prepared for opening up the next chapter in our lives. You banned the vaccine passport. Yes. Uh, what made you decide? I think that's great. But what was your, did you, what was your counsel on that? How did you make that decision? Some easy decision points. One, a lot of people don't know what I'm about to tell you. Uh, but uh, the COVID vaccine uh, doesn't have pure FDA approval. It has emergency use authorization approval. Anything that's subject to emergency use authorization that doesn't have the across-the-board FDA approval can never be mandated. And if it can't be mandated, you can't be required to show that you have gotten it because you have every reason to be able to reject it, point one. But point two, and that is that by requiring this passport, you're, you're required to assimilate and disclose personal health information. And there are some people who don't get the shot because they do have other personal health reasons why they cannot or should not take the shot. And no one should be obligated to expose their own personal health information to a business or to the government or to anybody. Yeah, that's such a violation. Right. And there are some people who say, yeah, I'm, I'm young, I'm just going to wait, or I'm not ready to do this yet. And right. they're allowed to do that. And so an, another classic example, and that is a reason why someone may choose not to get the COVID shot is because they have acquired immunity. Yeah. And so and they may say, why should I get the shot? I have immunity just like people who got a shot. I just got the vaccine. Like, it took forever. And it's you really are seeing the difference between Republican governors and Democrat governors. And I, I think it's highlighting this more than ever through this pandemic right. and the long-term consequences. I think about this all the time with my son, who's taking standardized tests next year, who's going to be, be competing against kids in your state who actually got to go to class and learn chemistry right. and geometry, and he's going to be at a disadvantage. And it's I think the country is going to recognize this more and more as we progress, what governors like you did. Has the president ever reached out to you, President Biden, and said, tell me what you're doing right in Texas. Can I get some advice from you or, or tell me things that I can do to help you? Does he do that at all? In a word, 
No. <laughs> <laughs> Not a surprise. So I'm going to move to another issue that's facing your state, but the whole world is watching right now what's happening on our on our southern border, which I don't think as many Americans completely understand the picture of what's happening with these children that are coming over, the influx at our border, and the drain on resources this has been for our border agents. Can you paint that picture for us a little bit and how bad it really is? Sure. I will paint the picture, but I will start it the same way we finished the last question. So we are dealing with the largest border crisis that we've seen this century. And to this day, the president, President Biden, has not reached out to talk to me about it at all. That's crazy. The former, the former president, President Trump, talked to us about it all the time, but also not just talk about it. President Trump stepped up and did something about it. I think it's crazy that Biden has never called you. Does that kind of blow your mind a little bit? I'm happy with it. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you get to say it, right? But yeah. I mean, I just, wouldn't you want to know what's happening on your southern border and, and right. hear about the crisis? Right. Well, not, yeah, not only has he not called, but neither he nor Kamala have been there. I know. And so they're absentee landlords. Yeah. President Biden has done nothing about it other than make the situation worse with his open border policies. And the reason why we have so many people coming in is because President Biden changed the border policies that President Trump put in place. The Remain in Mexico policy, the Build the Wall policy, the, the policy that says that we welcome people to come to the United States as legal immigrants, but we are not going to promote illegal immigration. The complete opposite is causing the crisis that we're seeing on the border today, the, the open border policies. And I need to explain to America what has taken place. There are so many people flooding across the border right now that the, the Border Patrol, they are fully occupied just processing all the people who come across the border. The people who know that are the drug cartels in Mexico. Not a person comes across the border without the assistance from the drug cartels and without paying money to the drug cartels. And what the drug cartels do, they want to fully occupy the border patrol. And when they do that, that leaves open gaps that are tens or hundreds of miles wide for the drug cartels to be able to bring in drugs, contraband, as well as what they call high-value people, such as terrorists, such as criminals, that can make a lot of money off of by getting across the border. So what Texas is doing, we have been down this pathway before, and uh, we launched Operation Lone Star. Uh, we have almost 2,000 uh, personnel, it could be either D Department of Public Safety officers or National Guard on our border. We are securing the gaps in the border. We, the state of Texas, are making arrest of criminals, and we've made more than 25,000 apprehensions of people who've come across the border illegally. And so our mantra in Texas is, Texas is going to secure the border and we're gonna make Biden pay for it. Oh, that's excellent. And if he came and he said, I wanna come talk to you, and if the vice president who's now in charge of this said, I wanna to come tour the border with you, you'd welcome her. You'd want her to come. I have formally invited them. I've sent multiple letters to them uh, detailing uh, in, in, in minute detail exactly what is going on and the reason why this is a tr tragedy. Let me give you one example. One of the horrific things that takes place on the border is human trafficking. There are young kids, and, and the, the, the Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas 
said what I'm about to tell you. He said, many of the young kids who make the trek across Mexico, they don't make it alive. Those who do make it alive face treacherous situations where most of them are abused, some of them horrifically abused. And so by the Biden administration promoting and enticing this illegal immigration policy, he's enticing young children into being trafficked. And as, as children and even adults come across the border, they come across the border wearing a colored wristband. The colored wristband is associated with a, a gang or cartel on both sides of the border. And as, as I pointed out in one of my letters to the White House and, and to President Biden, I said, you need to come address the human trafficking challenge that we're facing. You need to help us crack down on these human traffickers who are preying upon these young children, who are profiting off of these young children. Haven't heard a peep of a response. I don't think they want to come because they don't want the media to follow them, because they don't want to acknowledge that this is an issue. Why do they allow this? What is their end game? So part of it is there's, I haven't seen a presidency where they have been less transparent about what's going on on the border under the Trump administration, under the Obama administration, under the Bush administration. Reporters were down there every day filming every day. But there's something else different about this administration. This administration, if you go back to the presidential campaign, they were open and obvious. They said, yes, we want open border policies. Yes, we are going to allow anybody to come in who wants to come in. And so they are fulfilling their campaign promise to the progressive wing of the Democrat Party. And that's why this is nothing but chaos right now. And it will, it will not be solved until the Biden administration realizes that trying to appease the progressive wing of their party is going to be detrimental to them. And I'll tell you there's numbers behind this. The most recent polling I saw on this was last week. And it showed that Biden's approval rating on the border is 29%. You know, that 29%, all those, of course, would be Democrats. But even among Democrats, his polling numbers are underwater on the border issue. That's just amazing. I'm going to switch to another issue where they have failed Texas. And they're dishonest about the energy independence of our country, the, the <clears throat> prevalence of natural gas, the safe uh, standards around keeping that, uh, you know, clean air and things that are happening in Texas. Tell me about what that means for you as they cancel things like the Keystone Pipeline and what are the implications long-term for Texas with this terrible energy policy coming out of the Biden administration? It's bad for Texas, it's bad for America, but it's worse for the average family, uh, for the average worker in the state of Texas. There are hundreds of thousands of jobs in the state of Texas alone that are connected to the oil and gas industry high-paying jobs that put food on the table that help people buy houses. But more than that, the money that they generate, it pays for schools, it pays for roads in our state. But even maybe more than that, it made America energy independent so that we didn't have to depend upon Saudi Arabia or the Middle East for our energy sources. But I will tell you this, the Green New Deal is very helpful to Republicans politically. And I'll give you one prime example that we saw with President Trump. Uh, in South Texas, on the border-related counties, uh, they have always voted very strongly Democratic. There are a lot of energy jobs down there. And much to the surprise of everybody, candidly, even some people in Texas, Trump so incredibly outperformed his past and any other Republican presidential's 
past electoral experience in South Texas. These South Texas border counties, some of them voted for Trump, a Republican candidate for president for the very first time, and in others, uh, Trump uh, got 10 to 20 percent more this election than he did the last election. We asked people in South Texas why they were casting their votes that way. It was two reasons. One, because of uh, Trump's position on border policies, but the other is Trump's position on the Green New Deal, being against the Green New Deal. They were afraid of losing their jobs, mm. lo losing their paycheck, uh, because of if Biden was elected, they would be losing their paycheck, and that turns out to be true. And you do so well with Hispanic voters in all of your elections. And now in Texas, we saw inroads for the Republican Party in Texas, Zapata County. A 90% Hispanic county went Republican for the first time since the 1920s. What do you attribute that to, and how do we grow our, our party with the Hispanic community, specifically in Texas? You know, it's, it, it, to be honest, it really is easy. Uh, first, you have to go there. Uh, you, you can't show up on uh, a week before the election and say a couple of words in Spanish and think that they're going to yeah. vote for you. You have to build a relationship. And that's one thing that President Trump did. It's one thing that I did. Uh, I hold the record for any governor in the state of Texas making the most trips to the Rio Grande Valley as governor than anybody else. So you, you got to show up first. You have to care. But you also have to deliver results. Jobs is the prime example. So under the Trump administration, we had the lowest unemployment rate for Hispanics than ever before. And a paycheck goes a long way for people to be able to chart their own pathway in their lives. But it's also public safety. Listen, it's not like Hispanics care less about public safety than anybody else. And Trump stood up for their public safety. I stand up for their public safety to make their communities safe. So we want to secure the border, which Hispanics on the border want to see done. We want to create jobs, good paying jobs, which means supporting the oil and gas jobs in the state of Texas. We want to provide them good quality education, which the state of Texas did. We invested more in public education last session than in any session before that. And so we are addressing the issues that mean a whole lot to the Hispanic community, but we care about them. We include them and they are so important to the future of our state. And they know that I've feel that way, which is why I do very well with their vote every single election. So can I brag on you a little bit? Sure. I don't think most people realize Texas, Texas is the ninth largest economy in the world, in the world. You just posted a 7.5% GDP. You've added over a million jobs since you've been governor. And I want to ask you just some personal questions a sure. little bit. Tell me your path. Did you ever see yourself being governor of Texas, how did you get here? And what was your passion for serving and, and, and giving so much to your state? So when I was a kid growing up in East Texas and then in a suburb uh, of, of the Dallas area here, I had no idea uh, that I may one day be governor. Uh, and I took what you would call the path less taken <laughs> uh, because uh, I don't know if the camera can see it or not, but I'm in a wheelchair, which I was not in when I was uh, growing up. I was out uh, jogging in a big tree fell on me and it crushed my back and left me paralyzed. And so I went through a period in life, I was 26 at the time, and I went through a period in life trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Uh, and when I came out of that, I had this passion for public service. And I went on to become a, a judge, uh, Supreme Court Justice, Attorney General, and, and now Governor. And the reason for it is because of my love for Texas and my desire to make sure that we keep Texas, what I consider 
to be the premier state and the greatest nation in the history of the world. One quick thing about the jobs, and that is, is it really is amazing the way that Texas has remained such an economic powerhouse because the year before COVID, Texas ranked 10th in the world uh, in economic power if we were our own country. As you pointed out now, during the COVID year, we elevated in those ranks from 10th to 9th. Uh, that means Texas has a larger economy than Brazil, which we passed, uh, larger than Australia, larger than Canada, and believe it or not, even larger than Russia. Wow. And that makes me more powerful than Putin. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, I think the last question I want to ask you is, it's so vitriolic right now, politics, and so many people are turned off. And I am so inspired by governors like you who have dedicated to your state uh, your time, your effort, but also done so many things during this pandemic to keep e people's lives intact, their livelihoods. What would you say to somebody who's looking at politics and, and say, how do you encourage them to get in? How do you encourage them to engage in the process and not be turned off by the vitriol and the negative narrative and the media bias? What would your, your inspiration be? I would say getting involved in politics is more important now than ever before. Uh, in part because of the divide that we see. America is at a crossroads, and there is the America that is that has been the land of opportunity. Uh, and it is there's a large group of people out there who are driving socialistic policies. And if we don't coalesce around the values and principles that have made America the greatest country in the history of the world, we will lose it. And I say that's especially true for people in Texas, uh, because one thing that we know about Texas is that if we lose Texas nationally, we will lose the United States of America. And so it's essential for people in Texas as well as across the entire country to get involved in politics now more than ever. I mean, getting involved could be to run for office, but it could be going and casting your vote. It could be organizing votes. It could be supporting your party. It could be getting involved in a particular cause, whatever you may do. It is so important to your future, to your family, to America that you get involved and you support values that represent the greatness of the United States of America. Well, I'm so grateful for you. I told you I suffer from governor envy. I wish I could bring you to Michigan to run. Can you run in two states at the same time? Uh, but just thank you we for your- We <laughs> Thank you for your leadership. Thank you for what you've done. And thank you for spending time with me today to share these stories and, and the truth about what's happening in your great state. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Rhonda McDaniel, and this is what Republicans stand for. Join us next time on Real America. Paid for by the Republican National Committee. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. www.gop.com.